Heavy Podcast, hosted by Craig Gonzalez. What's up, guys? Welcome to Get Heavy Podcast. Uh, another beautiful evening. I got an awesome guest on, Noah Levine, uh, author of Dharma Punks, um, a massive figure in the punk rock world, um, started uh, Refuge Recovery, all sorts of recovery programs for drugs and alcohol, all with the tenets of uh, Buddhism and meditation and, and getting healthy. Uh, it was an amazing talk, uh, very interesting guy, a lot of incredible perspective. Um, so stay tuned for that. Having said all that, uh, today's, spon- today's podcast is sponsored by Salzer's Records, 5777 Valentine Road. For 50-plus years, they have been providing all of your record music gift shop pipe shop adult shop needs um check them out 11 to 7 daily right here off victoria i can't say enough about the fucking store itself you guys have heard it before i met my wife i met all of my friends there uh that store for 50 plus years has been providing everything you need to be awesome you like used vinyl you like new vinyl you like tapes records all sorts of shit gift shop upstairs we got the pipe shop for all you little fucking uh dab freaks we got the adult shop for all you little normal freaks check that out go across the street and check out the last video store on earth salzer's uh video shit that you can't find on youtube uh everything there man salzer's records check it out also Rate, subscribe, review, tell your fucking friends about this podcast. Hit that notifications bell on the YouTube. Uh, please help spread the word. I'm so grateful at all the awesome positivity and feedback I've been getting for this thing. Um, much, much appreciated. Check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. All these episodes go up a week early. For $1 a month, you can get early access, bonus content, all sorts of shit like that. And finally, check out the merchandise, localshop.com slash Podcast for all of your Get Heavy merchandise. Enjoy the episode. Well, hey, man, it's a pleasure to meet you, dude. I mean, I've been a big fan. I'm a friend of Eric, you know what I mean, and all that. And, and uh, you know, read your book many, many years ago, you know. But, cool, um, yeah, happy to get yeah. on and have a chat. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, man. Um Anyway, but yeah, as long as you can hear me fine, I'm 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 good on my end. I can hear you. How's my light? Is it okay? Yeah, it looks great, dude. It's reflecting off of your beautiful head. My, my ball dome. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, cool, man. Um, so this is like you know, I don't have, I'm not like an interview guy, just like a good conversation. Obviously, I'd love to talk to you about the books and all that stuff. You know what I mean? And I got many, many uh, random thoughts and questions, but. Um, I wanted to start with at least, you know, we're, we're rolling. So, um, uh, I wanted to say that I have, it is a pleasure to meet you. I've been a big fan of your work for a long time. I'm not a sober guy, um, but I still appreciate it, you know, as far as the Buddhism and all the meditation and stuff. Um, but I wanted to just kind of say that your book had such the Dharma punks. I read it when I was young, you know, probably maybe a couple of years after it came out, but it had such a profound effect on me uh, in a way that maybe I don't know if you're used to hearing or not, but um, you know, as far as like, I wasn't a crazy partier. I didn't do anything. I actually grew up like 
uh, I, and religious, like very Christian. I was involved like from 13 to maybe 16 with the, the Jesus like punk shit, you know what I mean? Like, uh, all that stuff. Like I was, I was heavily involved in like religious and religion and punk rock and stuff. And I played in bands and all that stuff. You know what I mean? And, uh, as I got older, obviously realizing the absolute glaring, uh, hypocrisies about Christianity, you know, and getting, I got some pussy, you know, stuff just stopped making sense. Right. <laughs> um, but I remember reading your book and it was at a time in my life where I was, I had such an insane void in my life for spirituality. You know what I mean? Does that make any sense? Um, totally. cause I just, I had, I did miss about the things about religion, about spirituality, about community. I missed that the ability to trust in something besides yourself, the ability, you know, all these things. And so I remember when I read your book, like I was already, I don't, I didn't drink or do a lot of things, but it hit me in a, in a profound way just through the spiritual side, right? Like obviously the practice of meditation, but being able to at least meditate or pray on something that wasn't, you know, the Christian God, like it hit me in a weird way. Like, I don't know if you've ever had that, had anyone say that kind of like that angle at you before. No, I have heard that a little bit. Um, okay, that's, you know, I've, also yeah. heard, I've, I've also heard from a lot of people who like, uh, you know, they're like, I really loved the first half of that book, you know, when you were like drugs and violence, like that was <laughs> right. cool. And then you got like into meditation and got sober and you lost me. <laughs> yeah, that's, I could see that too. They wanted it to be a Gigi Allen uh, memoir, right? Or something. Um, no, but I appreciate that. And, you know, uh, after Dharma Punks, I created Against the Stream, and I really intentionally created Against the Stream, the book, and then the, the meditation centers, and um, because I didn't want it to be a recovery thing, because I wanted oh. everyone to be welcome, and because I wanted, you know, our generation or whoever was interested, whether they were in recovery like me or not, to have access to this non-theistic way of like being a good person. And, 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 and seeing it as a form of rebellion, that actually being an asshole is easy and normal, but being kind and compassionate, that's right. fucking radical. Totally, man. Yeah. And it, 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 it's so interesting because when I read your book, those tenets were built into me through Christianity because the place that I went to was a kind place. It was accepting. It was radical punkers and, you know, the whole, all, it broke a lot of the norms, right? And like, the idea of being a revolutionary through Jesus wasn't a foreign fucking idea, right? You know, if you break it down, like Jesus was a punk, he went against the thing, all the, all these things, right? But as I grew older and rejected the idea of traditional religion, it, it broke my whole world into this fucking space where I was lost, dude. You know what I mean? And, and not that your book saved my life, but it, it fucking hit me in a profound way where I thought like, there is another, way to view spirituality in like a way that I didn't wouldn't allow myself after I left after the Christian religion. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was so interesting to me, you know what I mean? You know, I think that it's, it's one of the problems with religion and uh, you know, we could uh, easily critique Buddhism as a religion too, Yeah, where because of the corruption and, you know, um, ignorance and dogma that gets created into the religion, whether we're talking about Judaism or Christianity or Islam or, or Buddhism, mm -hmm. um, people that get traumatized by it and uh, disillusioned by it, 
and end up walking away from the good parts. Right. You yeah. know, I get, and I fucking get it. Cause I've, I've been pretty close at times to being so disillusioned with the Buddhists that I'm like, the fuck am I doing? Really? Because these people are so full of shit and you know, it, it's another religion, you know? And in America yeah. it's become this sort of like monetized, you know, like how are we going to open more meditation centers rather right. than, how are we going to be of service and how are we going to actually teach these transformative practical skills to people? Mm. Um, because, you know, ultimately maybe Buddhism isn't supposed to be a religion. You know, there's no creation myth. There's no, it's not theistic. It's right. It's much more like humanist psychology, mm-hmm. but people fuck everything up and they even turn a non-theistic humanist psychology into a religion and they start praying to statues and, right. and you know and this is like that has nothing to do with what the dude was teaching us yeah right. and I, i'd imagine i don't know christianity that well but i imagine it's not that different than how they fucked up jesus's message oh 100 i mean that and that's what like when i grew up in the church i grew up in and it was self I, like i came from a family of a, a chaos like well you actually came from a i know your history but i came from a family of drug addicts and bikers and fucking gnarly motherfuckers and my actual rebellion was to go nah i don't want to do any of that dude you know what i mean so i didn't go straight edge i didn't do any of that but i did find this community you know what i mean that just happened to fucking you know believe these things and we did shows and all kinds of awesome shit you know what i mean but was that um, was that connected with jay baker at all uh, I don't know. It was like Officer Negative. I don't know the JCHC okay. kind of stuff. It was back in the ninety mid late ni- mid late nineties. In uh, in two thousand three, when Dharma Punks came out, mm-hmm. um, Jay Baker, who's the son of Jim Baker and Tammy Faye Baker, oh. is their kid. Okay, and he's he was like a he was a punker. Okay. Uh, maybe more of a Nirvana punker than a Sex yes. Pistols punker, but whatever. Like you know, yeah, and um. He started a like Christian punk rock ministry. Yeah, no, I I don't think it was anything to do with that. <laughs> you know, like it was a lot of people that were like righteous, decent humans. You know, my youth pastor is still a fucking amazing guy and does a lot of kind shit. But the tenants were always in kindness and servitude and serving. You know, and that's what I found appealing about punk rock because it has the same. It, you know, when you do it right, it has the same tenants, right? But when you get into the deep religious discussion of you like you said how bad people can ruin a great message you know because the tenets of buddhism are probably modeled off the ten i mean the tenets of jesus are probably modeled off the same tenets of buddhism you know what i mean be kind to people be you know be fucking there so it's like i had these things built into my life which was cool you know so when i read dharma punks and obviously you know you get obviously that shit saved your life much like early religion saved mine but when i walked away from it i was just in a deep fucking void of not knowing who i was anymore and it just made me realize like oh yeah dude like i when i do pray it is meditation and i don't have to fucking pray to jesus i could pray to whatever you know what i mean just and and just breathing techniques and all these things like it hit all these parallels with me and it really helped me like rebuild my identity as a you know a, a, sa- a savage uh, sinner, you know, or whatever we are now, you know, now that I walked away from Jesus, you know, it was, it was just very like, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It was, it was so important. Yeah, when I, you know, I was really, I was really hoping that Dharma punks would, um, you know, introduce my generation to Buddhism and mindfulness and all of that stuff mm-hmm. in a way 
that um, was accessible, you know, and I wasn't, I, did, I wasn't on a mission, like a recovery mission, although, you know, my addiction was what led me to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, practicing meditation, but I was just like, wow, this shit is so cool and it's so radical and it's so practical. Uh, I'd like to make this accessible to, to, you know, my, my subculture. Right. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people in, in our, in our subculture that come from that world, you know, end up alcoholics and addicts and, but not all of us, right. And we're right. All, but we're all seeking freedom and we're all aware that there's something drastically wrong with this world that needs to be rebelled against. Right. But how do we channel that rebellion? Yeah. How do you channel it? Well, and not only that, how do you channel it without destroying yourself? Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the number one. It's, it's most of the time you, you fucking destroy yourself and you think you're fighting the system. You know what I mean? When really the way to fight this system, the way to fight this world is to be the best you can be, you know what I mean? Be a positive outlet, change people's, you know what I mean? Perception of what is a good human. You know what I mean? Whether you got 100%. tattoos or fucking whatever, you know? hundred percent. Yeah. That's been really fun for me, you know, to show up wherever I'm showing up, looking the way that I look. And probably what I've been told more than anything else is like, Oh, you surprised me. I was at a recovery meeting the other night and somebody was like, wow, like I saw you and I thought you were intimidating. And then you like have this beautiful message of forgiveness and compassion and recovery. Right. <laughs> like that's, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it, you know, it, are you still, does it still happen a lot where the, the, I mean, I don't know anything about, you know, Buddhism and the practice that much. I mean, but are people are still shocked by you, right? Like tattoo guy fucking, I mean, cause I get, I get very little questions about my tattoos anymore. You know what I mean? The whole, the culture is now kids get tattoos on their fucking face first, then their hands. Right. <laughs> you know, where when we started getting them, it was actually terrifying still to get them, you know? Right. Um, I, you know, it depends on, it depends on the circle. I still sometimes walk in these sort of conservative upper middle class, you know, Buddhist circles where people are like, ooh, you know, holding their purses, you know, because right. the, yeah. you know, the, the thugs have entered the room. Does the punk in you get excited when it happens? Because uh, <laughs> it ooh, does I, for me. I yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, I love that, you know. It is funny. I mean, we I used to tour a lot and play music, you know, in uh, metal bands and punk bands and stuff. And, man, it, there was, like, for me, nothing like walking into a small store in a small town in the middle of the country and the record just goes and skips and everyone's like, huh? You know what I mean? And I remember one time I was in a McDonald's. It was like the only place in the town and there was maybe 30 people in line and we just rolled out of a van, you know, smelling like shit. You know, we're in the middle of a five week tour, you know, in the middle of Iowa. And I walk in dude and the whole restaurant just looks at me and I was like, okay. So I just put my arms up and I went, like a monster and then i cut the line <laughs> and ordered food you know what I mean? everyone's like like holding their kids you know what i mean but it's it, it is funny to me that people still view it as like oh my god you know yeah when we're hanging around our people who are you know generally tattooed and whatever yeah you don't notice it but when you're in the middle of america um you know, or like sometimes even in Los Angeles or wherever I'm, I don't even notice it, but my girlfriend mm-hmm. will notice it. She'll be like, people trip out on you. Yeah. And they, you know, they, they wait till you're not looking, but they're like looking at your head tattoos. Like people trip out on you. And I'm like oblivious. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's, it's cause it's not, you know, it's for you. It's not a big deal for me. It's not a fucking big deal, but it is, it was always hilarious. Cause you've operated in this world that is 
you know, it's either I, when I thought of Buddhism, when I thought of meditation before I, you know, immediately the biker kid in me is like, this is hippie dippy shit, dude. And I don't, you know what I mean? What are we praying to nature over here? You know what I mean? And over the years I've ta- I'm Eric and me have talked many, many times about meditation. He's been telling me for years that I need to get into it, you know, be, but I, and I've always told him like, look, man, my anger keeps me sharp. You know what I mean? Like, I can't afford to not be fucking pissed, right? I've survived this long by being seriously fucking on edge. You know what I mean? And and I, I had to admit to him when I had him on the pod, I was, I'm totally wrong, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm totally fucking wrong. And I have started meditating, and, you know, I don't get to it as much as I should. But, um, you know, I wanted to ask, like, how have you, over the years, you still, you still deal with anger, right? I mean, does it how, – how do you, like – you know, how do you break that cycle in your mind of like, this is what keeps me unique. This is what keeps me fucking sharp, you know, to let down those walls enough. Is it just over time? You know, my anger created so much suffering for me. Okay. That, um, you know, didn't keep me sharp. It kept me getting locked up. Right. <laughs> you know? right. It, the consequences, you know, that the, the led to the addiction that, uh, then even after in recovery, the, you know, straight edge, I'm, you know, going to kick your ass because you're drinking a beer bullshit that I went through. Oh, okay. Uh, it just created too much suffering for me. And, and because I was practicing meditation and I just saw like, oh, this is not protecting me. This is not making me powerful. This is just causing suffering in my life. Mm. And I actually truly want to be happy. I actually want to be free from suffering. Right. And although anger, I think, is a pretty natural emotion and response and uh, maybe especially for men, you know, who are kind of like, that's the only emotion we're allowed to feel. It's, oh, like, yeah. it's okay to be pissed. You can't be vulnerable. You can't be yeah, sad. You can be mad. Mm-hmm. Um, I just started to see through it and see that, like, it doesn't serve me. Yeah. Now, when you, you talk know, about... I've gone through, oh, through a lot of shit the last couple of years and my mind you know, some big betrayals, some big losses, some, some major, mm-hmm. and my mind will still say like, you should really be mad. You know, and there's a whole list of people that my mind believes I should be mad at. Yeah. But I don't believe my mind. Oh, okay. Whatever that's, that means, that's, that's whatever smart. that yeah, means, right? like whatever that means, like yeah. it doesn't stop my mind from giving me bad advice and be like, you should hate them and you mm-hmm. should be mad at them. And you know, all of this. Um, and my mind still does that. I think we're just wired in that sort of defensive, you know, survival instinct. Mm-hmm. But because of meditation, I don't uh, believe my mind a lot of that. I have a healthy sense of skepticism towards my own views and opinions. Right. So it's about creating that space between the moment and the reaction, right? I guess. Yes. Yeah. It makes sense because, you know, like when I say my anger, I'm not an angry dude. Like I don't pick fights. I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not out here screaming at my children. I I don't do any of that, but I have a general sense of like, the fuck's going on. You know what I mean? Like, and that's always in my head. And I, I'm, I'm like terrified to lose that. You know what I mean? Like my sense of awareness, my sense of surrounding, you know what I mean? And and generally being like having a weird view on shit, you know, because I grew up as a white trash kid in the desert that, you know, I grew up around miners, like my old man, old a gold mine when I was a kid. I grew up in like a weird, crazy fucking world. You know what I mean? And it's, it, it, but when I talk, when I think about shedding this anger, you know, it makes sense that it's that moment of when it pops in your head to create the space to react, right? <laughs> and 
Well, and the more that I looked at my anger, my rage, my resentments, my fears of starting to see that, like, there's actually something underneath. Mm, When I'm angry, it's actually because I'm hurt. Mm -hmm. It's actually because I'm trying to avoid feeling vulnerable, feeling, um, you know, like some, some, something else, some sadness, some grief, some Mm -hmm. pain, and that the anger is just covering it. Right. And it's like, even though the example of like, we're in traffic and someone cuts you off and you're like, fuck you. And it's like, what really happened there is I was afraid. And right. And rather than just being like, Ooh, that was scary. It's yeah. like rage at how dare you make me feel insecure. Right. And I'm mad at you about it when really like all that's happening is oh, I like felt afraid. I got for scared for a there. second. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And it's and I'm, I'm... the primary emotion rather than that covering everything anger now is there a buddhist definition for anger like what it is i mean i hear i mean or is it just all suffering right is that oh i don't know like definition but this perspective that i'm sharing is kind of a um you know there's an encouragement to not indulge in it there's an, an awareness that it's a natural instinctual thing but that it's covering a more primary emotion. I mean, we would define it as an afflictive emotion, but even enlightenment doesn't get rid of afflictive emotions. It just changes our relationship to the afflictive emotions. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, cause I've been, I've been kind of studying up, you know, reading a lot of stuff about, you know, suffering, right. When they talk about suffering, like what does anger create suffering? What is suffering? You know what I mean? The definition of suffering is a million things, right? You know, there's one like kind of famous Buddhist quote where the Buddha said, you know, acting out of anger is like picking up a burning ember from the fire to throw at your enemy. Mm. And it's like, yeah, sure, you can like get mad, you know, but first you're burning the shit out of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Which actually kind of tracks in my mind. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, that makes it take a hit. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's just so funny because it's something over the last three or four years, you know what I mean? Like shedding this punk rock fucking, you know, the way I was, the way I grew up and the way all these things, it's been such an insane challenge, you know, and it's been great, you know, cause I'm not the different, I'm, I'm a different human than I was before. You know what I mean? And I think a part of that is growing up and being a father, right? I mean, your kids, I mean, if you want to crash course in fucking patience, have some kids, right? I mean, whew, it's brutal. Yeah. Do you have children? I do. I have two kids. And, you know, especially if we do, if we want to, uh, not pass on our neurotic bullshit to our kids, then we really have to slow down and be like, okay, I want to teach these kids kindness and compassion and friendliness and, you know, how to work with their difficult emotions rather than just run from them. And mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a trip. I mean, it, it, I really, I'm, I actively try to not push my bullshit on my children and, you know, they're unique. They're, exciting they're fucking creative you know what i mean all these things and i try so hard not to crush it you know what i mean <laughs> like all all the time you know what i mean just don't crush their fucking whole thing you know what i mean it's wow. it's just it's such a wild um yeah parenthood is brutal dude i mean it's you know i've always said it's if if you have a kid it's basically a mini version of you with all of your worst attributes right i mean at times yeah <laughs> like you're like staring at a tiny version of yourself you know you're like holy shit man yeah yeah that's my rage oh all right got it yeah you're throwing a straight up tantrum you know um but i wanted to see like you know 
when you talk of like you know as i've gotten into buddhism and you know and meditation and all this stuff like when they talk about being present right and i understand what being present is like when you're actually meditating right but what does it mean when you're in the moment like how does how do you break that down in your mind I mean, defining it as present time awareness, which applies to whatever we're doing, whenever we're doing it. Mm. And it's so much easier said than done because our minds are built to worry about the future and plan for the future and fantasize about the future. Part of our survival instinct is don't, you know, if you're generally sort of safe and comfortable or whatever now, don't, don't be here be craving for what's next, be worried about what's next, be in the planning process. The mind does that all by itself or in the past, you know, kind of Mm. either whether reminiscing about the good old days or resenting whoever has injured us in the past or worrying about the world situation. So being present sounds quite easy, Like be here when you're walking, be present with your footsteps. When you're driving, be present with, you know, the surroundings, but the reality is it's not how we're, you know, like when you're the the example of like, when you're cooking dinner, you're thinking about eating dinner. When you're eating dinner, you're thinking about doing the dishes. Mm. When you're doing the dishes, you're thinking about dessert. Mm -hmm. So mindfulness is when you're cooking dinner, like I'm fully present here cooking dinner. And now I'm fully present here eating and tasting my food. Mm -hmm. And now I'm fully here washing the dishes and my mind, you know, I'm bringing my attention back to the task that I'm doing, whether it's, you know, and it's easier when you're surfing and you're like, well, this is killer. I love being present surfing right. because I'm like feeling it <laughs> totally here or, yeah. um, but in the mundane activities, it's more difficult, right. you know, when you're at work and you, when you're, you know, kind of doing stuff in traffic of like, Oh, I can be, this is a opportunity for presence as well. Mm-hmm. Present time awareness and mindfulness also is kind of, not only what's happening, but is it perceived as pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? And putting a lot of investigation into how do I react when it's a little bit unpleasant? How quickly does my mind dissociate, go to the future, go to the past? Uh, How quickly do I look for something pleasant to do when I'm bored, when I'm, you know, just washing the dishes and, you know, going into some fantasy rather than just like, well, this is pretty unpleasant or neutral or whatever I'm doing, but I'm fully here for it Mm. because ultimately mindfulness and presence is about learning to have compassion for pain. And by turning towards so much of our life is unpleasant or neutral, unpleasant sounds, smells, tastes, mindfulness is turning towards that and saying like, okay, there's this habitual reactive aversion towards unpleasantness And that creates suffering and stress in my life. But if I bring mindfulness to the unpleasant and accept it and meet it with friendliness and mercy and compassion, then there's no suffering. It's just an unpleasant, you know, it's just another porta potty at the fucking, you know, things. You're like, yeah, it's unpleasant. It smells, but I don't have to suffer about it. Yeah, that makes sense, dude. I mean, because it's weird. uh, You know, I can, the only thing I could liken it to really, I mean, obviously, we all have these moments where, you know, if you are doing something great with your kids, you're watching them do something, you know, you're just proud of them. But, you know, playing music, obviously, it's pre- you have to be present, right? You're, you, And the only thing is the task that you're doing. You know, and I, what I do for work is I run heavy equipment, like, like bulldozers and blades and shit like that. 
I actually teach how to run that stuff now. Um, and, and I say this all the time. And as you were just describing that, I, I realized that I tell this to people all the time because there's a few pieces of equipment, most of them that you ha- you can only be present on. You cannot be distracted by anything going on besides what the task is that you're doing. You know what I mean? And it's like, and those are the few pieces of equipment that I love to run a blade, a dozer, all these things. You know what I mean? Like, because it is so much focused on the task and the getting the task done and being present for that task to make sure you grind a road to this thickness so you can fucking pave it. You know what I mean? Like, and it makes sense. You know, if you, if I could, if, if we all step back in those simple moments that we realize are being present and try to extrapolate it, it, it makes sense, you know? But it's like, you know, yes, there are those certain experiences, the music, the heavy machinery that force us to concentrate and be mm. present. Um, but bringing that same quality, because like driving a car or something, like when you're learning to drive a car, you better be fucking present. Right. Pen and you and shifting gears and checking your mirrors. But then after a while, you can fucking be in la la land and still get to your destination, not present at all. And all of a sudden you're there and you'd miss the whole ride. Right. Yeah. And which has happened many, many times, <laughs> you know, which I'm sure happens. happens with heavy equipment too. <laughs> it can, right? but like, there are, it, it definitely can, but there are a few pieces where there is no room for not, you know what I mean? Like, and, and those are the harder pieces to run, right? These are the hardest pieces of equipment to master. They're the hardest fucking pieces of equipment to ever get down because our, you cannot run like your brain cannot run away from you. You know what I mean? Like it, it makes sense. You know what I mean? It's, it, yeah. You're going to fuck it up. You're definitely going to fuck something up. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's a trip. Um, and I would, you know, when you, you talk about suffering a lot, you know what I mean? And all this stuff. And I want to know, like, I have family members that have done their fair share of addiction and rehabs and all this stuff. And it just, the one through line and what I see happening a lot of time. And, and I, you know, like I said, I, I drink a little bit. I don't, you know, I don't party my ass off or nothing like that. I don't, I don't think I have the, I don't have the alcohol or drug bug. You know what I mean? Um, I can walk away from that shit, but I have family members that cannot, Right. But the one major through line that I see when you talk about suffering is the per, the person's inability to not take ownership of the their own actions which cause suffering i mean is that a huge part of it yeah i mean i would yeah i mean suffering is greed right it's craving Mm -hmm. and um suffering is hatred and aversion you know a lack of acceptance of the unpleasant and suffering is also ignorance and so i would um, put that lack of taking responsibility and, and agency um, as ignorance, right? Of not understanding that actually we are responsible and we do have the ability to stop drinking and using and acting in ways that are causing harm to ourselves and others, um, that we're not actually powerless, you know? And this is where Buddhism is, is much different than like a 12-step recovery model that says like, you know, humans are powerless and only God can, you know, restore you to sanity. And you have to, you know, petition this fictitious God. (laughs) And, um, you know, Buddhism is like, no fucking way. Actually, you have the power to do it. Even if you feel hopeless, even if you feel, that's just confusion. 
the, the reality is human beings have the ability to practice renunciation, to, to stop doing the things that are causing harm to us and others. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to wake up to that. And that was a huge part of my waking up it was that I took responsibility. And I was like, I got myself into this mess. Right. And I got myself into this mess. And yes, I'm addicted to drugs and I'm addicted to alcohol. But I can one moment at a time choose to not obey my mind and my cravings when it's telling me to drink. That's actually something that I can I can defy. And speaking of rebellion, like there's nothing more rebellious than telling your mind to shut the fuck up. I'm not going to do what you tell me. Right. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah, it makes sense. Bad advice again. Right. Yeah. How many times has your brain been correct so far? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it, it makes sense. You know, but I wonder, like, there are people, obviously, that do get sober. They do the work, right? They stay sober, but they just never seem to take the steps to admitting that they it, they are the ones that got themselves there. Right. I mean, is it, it it's so odd to me because I deal with it in my family constantly, you know, with certain people and stuff. And it's like, dude it's always a blame game. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, dude. And it wasn't until we really all stepped back and said, you're on your fucking own. You know what I mean? Until they got serious and started figuring this thing out. You know what I mean? And it's, it's just, I'm always shocked at, because I've always been a big guy in taking ownership of my fault. You know, if I, if I fuck up, I apologize. I admit it. I, Hey man, I completely tanked this. My bad. How can we fix this? How can we go from there? These things are built into my, my brain, you know what I mean? But when you meet people that just cannot see it, you know what I mean? I'm always like, how do you get through that, man? You know what I mean? It's just. There are a lot of, you know, functions in, in both refuge recovery and in 12 step recovery where we do a lot of inventories and we look at our part and, you know, in the 12 steps, there's the, the daily 10 step where we're supposed to reflect on, you know, anything that we, any harm we caused, anything we did unskillfully today, likewise in refuge through mindfulness of looking at our lives and then taking responsibility and making amends. Now, some people skip that, you know, they skip that step, that part, and they never quite get there. Yeah. It's a, it's a trip, man. I, I just, I've never, it's, it's such a wild thing to do because it's one of the main things that it bugs the living shit out of me. It's, you know, when I, when you talk to someone and they're just, oh, well, he did this and this and that, and, you know, and it's like, man, so much of this world would be better by taking ownership of your bad part in it and saying, yeah, man, you know what? I pissed you off because blah, 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 or whatever, you know, and taking ownership of it rather than just pushing the blame. And I think it's, I don't know how much of it's society. I don't know how much of it's built into the human DNA. You know what I mean? It, it, it's hard to, it's hard to manage, you know? Probably a bit of both. I, I feel like all of society comes out of the human DNA, right? All of all of the greed, hatred, and oppression in this world comes from, you know, a human survival instinct gone awry. Um, and, you know, what has helped me, I think, most with this is coming to understand karma, that I'm totally responsible for all of my actions and that my intentions are important and that uh, taking responsibility for my intentional actions is everything. And that people that don't understand karma, um, you know, blaming everyone else and not taking responsibility for their part and their intentions and, you know, are miserable, like you said, are suffering. Yeah, it's it's so it, it is crazy. But are you are you a guy that believes that, you know, like uh, like, uh, you know, obviously humans are all coming from a very specific line of DA many millions and millions of years ago. I mean, 
a lot of this stuff is built into us. We used to run from fucking, you know, animals trying to kill us all day, right? So I, I think one of the radical things about Buddhism was this is a guy saying, what, 2,500 years ago, hey, guys, you know what I mean? Like, there's a way to combat this, like, years of evolutionary terror, <laughs> you know what I mean, that we've experienced. You know, it, and it's it's such a trip that you can, like, you know what he couldn't have been the first guy to ever do it i mean how do, how does it track back like that i mean is it involved with like evolutionary like thought i don't know i don't think that he knew about evolutionary biology well yeah yeah but, yeah. What, but what he did was he looked at the his mind and he was like okay there's all this craving for pleasure aversion to pain self-centeredness and it causes all of this unhappiness so what if I didn't take everything so personally? What if I practiced non-attachment rather than clinging and craving? What if I practiced compassion instead of hatred? And as it turned out, he's like, oh, there's practical results to this. And then now we know from evolutionary biology that what he was doing, and he said, oh, this goes against the human norm. Because mm. the against the stream. Uh, the human norm from millions of years of, of evolving and, and survival instinct biology is craving and hatred and self-centeredness, right? It's not anybody's fault. It's just what we're born into. It's what, how we have, you know, uh, evolved as a species. And just what you're saying, he, he found out, wow, it's a, there's a way to relate to our minds. There's a way, way to relate to pleasure and pain and self uh, in a way that minimizes suffering and eradicates the unnecessary levels of unhappiness that the mind creates for us. The untrained mind is untrustworthy. But through meditation, through study, through renunciation, we can train our mind into where it becomes an ally, and becomes wisdom, rather than fueled by evolutionary ignorance. Right. Yeah. That. Yeah. That makes sense. So you think it was, it was all an internal war with him at first that got it was him very to personal. this? It was very just kind of looking at his own, you know, human condition, and then seeing like this is the universal human condition, and that kind of, uh, you know, what I was trying to do in Dharma Punks, which is that core message, which is like if I can do this, anybody can do this, which was the Buddha's message, which is like I'm not special, I'm not a god, I'm not, I'm just a, a dude who is looking at my mind and seeing the truth about my mind. And now I'm changing my relationship to it. Now I'm not suffering about it anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and how much, so when meditation comes into it, right. I mean, obviously the breath, are, are you into like different types of breath work for different situations? Are you, are you, do you do the same kind of meditation mantra kind of stuff at all? I mean, how, do, how deep have, into that, the meditation side, have you got into this stuff? You know, I keep it somewhat simple in um, mindfulness, which is mindfulness of the breath and body, mindfulness of the feeling tones, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, okay. mindfulness of the mind states and emotions. And so, you know, this is the Buddhist teaching of, of mindfulness. So there's breath work, there's breath awareness, but it's not about manipulating the breath to create an experience. It's about the breath is something that's reliable refuge because it's always happening. If you're alive, you're breathing. So it's a good place to place your attention. Yeah. Now, a lot of the breath work shit that happens now 
is about hyperventilating. It's about creating this sort of like, hey, if you breathe this way, it'll feel killer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's more play- chasing pleasure, right? It's more trying to avoid what's happening emotionally by replacing it with a meditative state. The Buddha's teachings on meditation were like, hey, don't try to get rid of it. Learn to live with it. Mm. Learn to have intimacy with your own mind and your emotions. Learn not to take it so personal. A lot of meditation techniques are actually avoidance techniques. Buddhist meditation, as originally taught, is not avoiding it, but turning towards it. A lot of those cool sound baths and, you know, kind of breath work, you know, whatever, like they're fun. They get you high. They put you to sleep. They let you avoid what's causing suffering in your life temporarily. Buddhist mindfulness says, hey, stop avoiding. Turn towards it. See it. Feel it. Then you can heal it. Then you can get free from it. Not from some fucking cool, uh, you know, transcendental meditation bullshit, but through embodied turning towards it and feeling Right. So how, how much how, do you know much about like Wim Hof and all that stuff? Like the Iceman? Are, do you do you do you think all that shit's just like you're fucking over it? Like transcendental meditation, all that stuff. I mean, how do you feel about that kind of stuff? I, I feel like, you know, uh, there's lots of different kinds of meditation and it depends on why you're meditating. Most people aren't meditating to get free from suffering. They're just looking for something that can become a temporary. Yeah. The, the Wim Hof stuff, super cool. You know, TM, yeah. super cool. If yeah. what you're looking for is just like a stress reduction kind of technique. If right. you're looking for awakening, they're not going to work. Those techniques aren't going to take you to compassion towards understanding emptiness. They're not going to take you all the way. Most people aren't looking for liberation. They're just like, oh, cool, this meditation helps me not be so stressed out. Right. You know, kind of calms my nervous system. That's great, too. Um, I'm just one of those guys who's like, no, no, I want the real deal. Yeah. I want the shit that has the potential to change my whole life, not just get me high on an ice bath. Right, yeah. I mean, it's so – because I, I love Wim Hof, right? I mean, it's and, – and, and it is – I mean, first, I, I'm shocked that more people don't understand that, like, anxiety – all the, you know, when people have panic attacks and all this stuff, like 90% of it is because of lack of breath, right? I mean, it, it feels like it. I mean, it could be your mind just freaking out, but, you know, there are, if you just, if you're in the middle of a panic attack and you just take some deep breaths and breathe, you know what I mean? I feel like it's your body's reaction to just, you don't, you're not breathing enough. I don't, I don't think most of us breathe enough. You know what I mean? I, you know, how many of us have shallow breath all day long? You don't like, when you take a full breath, everyone's like, whoa, <laughs> you know what I mean? You realize, and it's just the stress and the grind, you know, but when Wim Hof stuff, when it, the part that I think is so cool is that it is scientifically proven to help get your fucking immune system moving and all these things, you know what I mean? And, and it's fucking rad, you know what I mean? But I, I, I see what you're saying, you know, it is a temporary, maybe it's a stepping stone, but when you're really trying to decipher your own mind, right? It's a battle of the mind with, with Buddhism and the, and the, and the meditation practices there. Right. Essentially. Whereas he's in a battle with the fucking body. It feels like, and maybe it helps the mind, but different. I'm, worlds. Sure, I'm sure it does. And again, I think that like, it's so cool that there's so many people in our culture now practicing the sort of secular mindfulness or the breathing techniques or the mm-hmm. sound baths or whatever it is. That's like a, a doorway. It's mm-hmm. so cool. 
like I, I'm a hater for sure. I'm a hater and I'm so biased and, yeah. you know, I can talk tons of shit about it, but I also have this side that's like, Oh no, like that's fucking great. Like anything that's getting people to sit down and shut up and, and, and do some meditation. Cool. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Well that's, it took, you know, that makes sense because you know, when you think about like punk rock guilt, right. I don't know if you've ever, dealt with that but i you know when you're you know you see it all the time it's like you're not allowed to like any band that sells out or fucking any of that shit you know what i mean it took me years to like shed that you know what i mean like just to generally be happy if you've done anything you've wanted to do and been passionate about it and you got successful fucking congratulations right but i've always said that i mean punk rock guild is probably harder than catholic guilt you know what i mean like to shed that shit is brutal you know what i mean like catholic guilt's fine whatever but punk rock guilt fuck good luck you know what i mean and and it makes sense you know what i mean if 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 anything that gets the ball rolling you know what i mean like because i've tried all these things i've float tanks i've done all this cool shit and it is fucking cool right but it yeah. never sticks it yeah. never fucking sticks and then first of all who can afford a float tank or to even go to one you know what i mean all these things and when i started doing you know a lot of the meditation you know just using the I like Sam Harris's app. I use Calm, all that stuff. And it is just the basic noticing your breath, noticing feelings, you know, working from your head to your toes. And it's so consistent and so fucking easy and has such a better overall effect in the long term, you know what I mean, than all these, like, hot spot fucking breathing methods and stuff, which I will say the Wim Hof breathing method, I guarantee fucking helped me beat COVID. You know, I was out there. I'm starting to feel it. My lungs are building up and I'm fucking doing, I did that shit for fuck three times a day for, you know, two days and just felt it like, bleh, like leave my body, which is rad. But the consistency of just mindfulness and, and doing the meditation that I have been doing has made such a bigger overall impact in my impact in my life, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it's the same thing with like all of the plant medicine and psychedelics, you know, where people are like trying to have this sort of transformative experience on an intoxicant, you know, that's giving right. you this sort of the ayahuasca's and all that. And it's like, cool. Like I'm sure it's helping some people. Um, but also it's not giving you something that's practical that you can really integrate into a true transformation. It's opening the door in some way. Sure. Um, but you know, only my, you know, I'm, I'm biased, but you know, my sense is that only a true, uh, meditation practice is going to allow you to live into that experience. Um, you know, like the, the float tank is awesome. I like to do it too. It's fun. Oh, you have, you have done oh, it. Oh, yeah. So oh, awesome. Yeah. It's, it's cool, man. It's fucking yeah, cool. No, I love that shit. And the ice yeah. bath, like all of that shit. It's super yeah. fun. And I also like surfing and riding dirt bikes and skating. And like, I like doing intense shit, mm -hmm. you know, like, and I like, you know, including the meditation stuff. But I explored it quite a bit. And like, there's nothing like a silent meditation retreat and just being with yourself without special breathing techniques, without, you know, anything, all that fun, learning to be bored. Like that's real liberation, right? Really? Not, you know, like doing, doing the intense shit, like that's a little too easy, but doing the kind of, I'm just going to sit here and then I'm going to walk and then I'm going to sit and then I'm going to walk and just my my dharma teacher a buddhist monk named ajahn amro he said look if you want to learn this you know be on this path you got to learn three things learn how to be bored learn how to be lonely and learn how to be hungry wow and it's like that's some real shit 
Dude, like, honestly, oh, you, the, you two of those things literally scare the shit out of me, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, boredom. My wife calls me a shark because if I if I stop moving, I'm gonna die. You know what I mean? Like, and that's how I've that's how I've been my whole life. I get antsy. I fucking I have to do something. I have to create something. I have to move. You know, and to really honestly to sit at a silent retreat sounds terrifying to me. <laughs> like, no words. Like no words at all, you know. It's it's crazy. I mean, that's a that has to be a why. I, I mean, mean, I started I started doing silent retreats. You you know, in Dharma Punks, I write about it. Like I started mm-hmm. doing silent retreats when I was like nineteen, mm-hmm. and then all through mm-hmm. my twenties and thirties and forties, and I started with like a three day silent retreat, and then I did a five day, and then I did a seven day, and then I did a whole bunch of ten days, and then I did a couple months long, and then I did a ninety day silent retreat. God. It's giving me anxiety even thinking about it, dude. (laughs) It's a little bit like, um, you know, like when I got into punk rock, like I wanted to know, like, what's the real punk? Mm -hmm. You know, what's, you know, okay, there's the Clash and the Pistols and the Ramones. And then there's the second wave with Black Flag and Circle Jerks. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and then there's like the street crust, like Crucifix and Exploited Mm -hmm. and it's like, I want to know, like, where's the roots of this shit? I feel like the same way with meditation. And like the same way with drugs. Like once I smoked weed, I was like, this is great. What's heroin like? Yeah. Give me you all know? the drugs. I need all this. Yeah. <laughs> all the fucking drugs. And so, you know, I have that intensity seeking, uh, you know, gene like you and that kind yeah. of like activity. Uh, shark. I like that. Like a shark. Like you got to keep moving. Oh yeah. My wife, but she's, like, she's all, okay. Shark the, fucking sit down, dude. <laughs> like, fuck, all right. That's like the most intense is like, Oh, I'm just going to learn how to be bored. Oh my I'm God. I'm going to learn yeah. how to be hungry and not eat dinner. Like the monks don't mm. eat dinner. Like my teacher who was saying that, like learn how to be hungry. Hasn't had dinner in like 45 years. They can only eat until noon. Yeah. And it's like, well, this is fucking cool. Right. Learning to, to defy the mind and mm-hmm. be bored and be alone and lonely and horny and not satisfying any of it. God, it's a fucking, that sounds terrifying, dude. I mean, and when you talk about hunger too, I mean, that's one of the ones that really gets me. Cause I think of all the real addictions that are around the one that I do have is food and eating, you know what I mean? And, and it's, it has to be the hardest fucking thing. I mean, a heroin addict is fine, right? I mean, you can kick it. It's rough. But, dude, so, like, I've been able to – I've always been a bigger guy. I lost 90 pounds a long time ago and slowly over the past four years have gained about 50 of it back. And now I'm at the point where I'm, like, fucking embarrassed, right? And I'm – and I'm, like, I'm just – the food thing is the one fucking thing. I can walk away from beer, alcohol. I don't smoke pot anymore. I, for weeks, months, it doesn't fucking bother me. But the food is the one actual addiction I have, dude. And I cannot fucking – I just can't – there's a hump, dude. And I don't know if it's just trauma from being a kid. You know what I mean? I know the exact moment where I got fat. You know what I mean? And uh, it's just how do you deal with that shit? I mean have you dealt with that stuff in your recovery programs? Yeah, in, in Refuge Recovery, uh, which is the program that I created that is a Buddhist-based recovery program, um, you know, all, all addictions are treated. And so with, like you're saying, like with drugs and alcohol, with, with substance abstinence, with process addictions, food, sex, gambling, stuff like that, 
Um, sometimes it's abstinence, like you can be celibate, you can be, you can give up gambling, you can, mm-hmm. you know, make bottom line behaviors around spending or, or money stuff. But with food, you can't stop eating. Right. Yeah. So you have to create your own bottom line. And often what people find is that it's it's the white powders, it's oh, flour yeah. and sugar. Yeah. Yeah. And that if people, you know, in recovery from, you know, that the core addiction around food is the is the sweets and the carbs, you know, the flours and oh, the yeah. rice and stuff like that. And so that people, you know, find like, okay, if I make a bottom line behavior and I really practice renunciation mm-hmm. and it's just like the alcoholic who says, I can't drink a little bit. Mm-hmm. I can't eat a little bit of sugar. So I just renounce it. it. I yeah. live my life free from it because, you know, those really, and it's harder, right? Because then it's so socially acceptable to be like, well, Hey, there's, it's, a, it's my kid's birthday party. I better have a cupcake. And then all of a sudden I'm eating ice cream every day and oh, totally. I'm back on the fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah. So what it is, it's so weird for me because what it is, is that I know the things I know exactly what I need to fucking do. I lost 90 pounds on the keto diet felt fucking great. Right. But now what I realize is that if I have a few beers on Friday, I eat like shit Saturday. And then that spawns it into eating like shit on Sunday, Monday, I'm back into it. And I've stepped back step two times. So now I don't know if I'm drinking alcohol to fuck up my own diet subconsciously, or if I'm actually addicted to alcohol once a week, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm like, Oh my God. Like it was a realization I had the other day. I was like, what is fucking going on? And I've really been considering just going completely sober, like from everything, you know what I mean? And, and and it's fine. Like the sobriety of alcohol sounds fine, but when I look at my cycles, it starts with having a fucking few IPAs, right, at dinner or whatever. Because I could go and eat a salad, but then I'm like, hey, drink a few beers. You know what I mean? Get home, have some fuck. You know, and it just it's this fucking cyclical weird move, dude. So I don't even know what I'm addicted to anymore. I mean, it's <laughs> one of the things. You know, the Buddha's teaching was if you really want to use the mindfulness path. Um, to abstain from alcohol. And it's exactly from the, for this reason. Hmm. Not because there's anything wrong with alcohol, but because when you put alcohol into your system, you're more likely to be heedless or unskillful around other behaviors, around your speech, around your sexuality, around food. And so, so you know, Buddhism is a, a sober, you know, kind of practice. Uh, not in, there's nothing wrong with alcohol, but it blocks your mindfulness and it lowers your, you know, inhibitions and renunciation. And so there is something to thinking about, you know, and considering like, yeah, maybe I should just not drink and then I'll be more disciplined with what I consume. Right. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I tell myself for years, like, oh yeah, dude, I'm, I can walk away from booze, but then I don't, you know what I mean? Like, and then it, it but it, I'm more concerned about my health, my overall fucking health in life. Cause I got three kids. I'm going to be 39 years old. And I really want to spend my 40th birthday as a fucking healthy human. You know what I mean? Because 13, 11, and 2. And I want I, now i got to be around. You know, I was almost halfway done. And we had this random surprise baby. And now, motherfucker, I'm in the mix. You know what I mean? i gotta, I got to really get it. You know, and so it's like I've really been considering, like, just just going completely sober. You know what I mean? And it's And it's actually a pretty freeing thought. Over the, as I get closer and closer, and I don't even know what I'm waiting for to start. I don't know why. And you, 
and you probably won't miss it much since also because it's Fridays for you or whatever, whatever you know, is, like yeah. Eric and me and, you know, probably a lot of your rows are sober women that, you know, people, yeah. um, you know, it's like when, when you cut that shit out of your life, you still go out with your friends on Friday or your family, you yeah. know, and you enjoy the salad and you have more energy Saturday morning to go skate or surf or whatever you're going to do. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's actually a, a life upgrade to let go of a lot of the shit that we've been clinging to. Yeah. It, and it's just so mindless. I don't know. For some reason, I have my birthday in mind, which is in August. But I'm like, why? Why am I even? <laughs> like, why? Why am I pushing it off? You know, what I mean. But I think it's just because the the reality of sitting with the hard questions of myself, really facing myself as a sober human for the first time since I was, I didn't start smoking weed till I turned 21. I didn't drink till I turned 21. You know what I mean? Like, but I was a heavy pot smoker for many, many years, ten blunts a day kind of guy. You know what I mean? I stopped smoking that because of work, and I didn't miss it at all. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, just the hard reality. It's, it's so much harder to give something up where there's not, you know, to stop drinking when, like, I'm an alcoholic. I don't drink, right? Like, it's easier for me because I get locked up when I drink. Like, it destroys my life. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. doesn't destroy your life. No, it doesn't. And it's, yeah. I don't know, even connected to like the Wim Hof stuff where um, I'm doing this, not, not, I'm doing it for health. Right. Mm -hmm. And that motivation of like my motivation isn't even enlightenment or sobriety, but it's for health. It's like mm -hmm. in order to, you know, be more careful with what I consume, alcohol is something that I don't consume. Yeah. Yeah, man. It makes sense, dude. It makes sense. But I just I'm constantly asking myself the fucking question. And now it's like now I'm starting to view it. I'm trying to switch my mind to it as a challenge. Right. Because that's how I have to. I'm a deadline guy. I have to have a fucking challenge. I have to have someone saying, hey, you're a piece of shit. There's no way you're ever going to do this. You know what I mean? And and then I'm like, oh, yeah, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, and now I'm off. You know what I mean? But it's like when it's your own mind, it's just a fucking different world, man. It's it's a trip. You know, it's one of the harder things I've ever dealt with in my life is, you know, addiction to food and wanting to be healthy and just not being able to do it. I, I felt like I've been able to manifest 99% of anything I've ever wanted to try. You know, I mean, whether it's playing music. One of the things I read this in a, I read this in a study somewhere, um, and I've tried it with some people. I haven't honestly tried it myself, but um, where, like, if there's something that you really want to do, like, like a daily meditation practice, then you really want to do it, but you're not doing it, or like the food stuff of like, I really want to give up sugar and flour or whatever, mm -hmm. but I'm not doing it. Uh, and I saw this study that it was, you know, basically said. Uh, you're more likely to make a change that you want to make, but that you're not making. If you have some financial skin in the game. Oh, okay. and the way, the way to do it is you say like, okay, I'm going to quit drinking or I'm going to quit eating sugar or flour, or whatever it is. Um, and if I don't, I'm going to write this check and it has to be an amount that's going to hurt. Right. It can't be like right. yeah, 200 bucks. I don't care. But $2,000. I do care. Right. right. And so you gotta, I'm going to write this check and I'm going to write it to an organization that I hate. <laughs> okay. And if yeah, I don't follow through oh, with this commitment, one, I've got to give money to them. Yeah. I'm going to give it to the Bill O'Reilly Foundation. <laughs> Bill O'Reilly. Whatever. I mean, check. yeah. Give it to Trump. Yeah. yeah. Fuck it. Yeah, dude. Yeah. That actually makes sense, dude. That's a very good And then one. you're like, well, I, I'm not, I'm fuck that. I'm not taking a drink. I'm not giving those motherfuckers. Money. <laughs> there you go, dude. That's a good motivator, man. That's fucking awesome. I'm going to try it. I'm going to write a check to something. Maybe, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's fucking, that's a great idea, man. It's, it's a, 
It's amazing, man. But yeah, the hard reality of sitting with yourself is just, that's why when you say silence, learning to be hungry, all those things, I'm like, no way. Dude. You know what I mean? But you know, you can do, obviously people come out of fucking death, you know? Yeah. I mean, but, but it is, I mean, you can see even just in this conversation, how the more we learn how to be bored and hungry and lonely on retreat, right. Where it's sort of a, a controlled environment and, you know, you only can eat what's offered and you learn to sit with hunger. Then you build up that skill. And then, you know, when it's Friday night and your mind saying like, you should have a beer, you're like, I know how to not do that. Yeah. Or it's Saturday and your mind saying like, we should get a pizza. Mm-hmm. And you know how not to do that because right. you've kind of trained your mind. You walk through that experience of boredom and loneliness and hunger and survive. Yeah. No, man, it's, it's uh, everything you're saying is a hundred percent. Right. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's hitting me in my brain. I got it. You know what I mean? Now I just, now I need you to call me tomorrow and call me a fucking moron. And then I'll, now I'm going, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really use those kind of, tactics, I know you don't, you're, you're I'm such sure, a kind, I'm man. sure you've got some friends that do. I'm sure oh yeah. yeah I got I'll, Matt cash. You know, Matt cash, right? Oh yeah. Matt he'll call, cash. he'll call me and tell me I'm a moron for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Matt's coming to retreat. Matt and Eric are coming to silent retreat this, really? this fall. That's yeah, amazing, they're man. gonna they're gonna come out all enlightened. Keeping Matt silent's gonna be a rough one. <laughs> Do you guys supply duct tape or how does that work? Because <laughs> it's gonna be tough, dude. Yeah, yeah. Me and Matt are so similar, and so we're actually in Dad Brains together. The 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 band, you know the. The dad punk rock awesome. band we do. I've got I've got the record. I, I own the record. Yeah, there you go, man. Yeah, I I fucking just love that guy to death, man. But, um, and of all the people that needed to get sober, holy shit, dude. You know he was he was insane. You know, um, and I'm so. And glad it's one he, of those things, like, and he's doing it right. And if he can, you know, we all can. It's not an it's not a lack of ability. It's just a willingness to say, like, okay, I'm gonna do yeah. this. Yeah, I find that it's I'm bored. I'm bored by it. You know what I mean? I'm bored by getting drunk. I'm bored by, you know, partying. I'm bored by all these things now at, at this point in my life. You know what I mean? And I think it's out of boredom, accepting boredom, right? Maybe I'll maybe that's the fucking now I'm at the point where I'm like, you know what? This has just got to change, you know, because you've run in these same circles over and over again. You just hopefully you get bored of it. Right. And then now you can move. But you know, boredom is a real phenomenon on some level, but the more mindfulness we practice, mm-hmm. the more interesting even the mundane shit becomes. The more we're present with what is happening as it's happening, the, there's less and less boredom because it's like, well, this is kind of interesting just watching my own mind or just being present at my kid's mm-hmm. soccer game or, you know, just hanging out with my family on a Friday night. Like, I'm not bored because I'm present. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, yeah, I, it, it makes sense, dude. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, you, you obviously are such a happy dude, right? Like, and I know that you went through some crazy shit over the last few years. You kind of mentioned it. I don't really need to, it's not in my mind to talk about it, but I, I'm interested in how have you rebuilt yourself since this has happened? You, I mean, I know you lost a fucking lot, right? Um, the, the departure of spirit rock, all these things, you know what I mean? How have you been able to stay positive wade through this and and rebuild yourself or i mean obviously it's still a process right certainly still a process and i don't really quite know how to answer it other than i just kept doing what i've been doing for the last 30 years Mm -hmm. which is i meditate i try to be of service to other people 
Uh, I practice a lot of forgiveness towards the people that I, uh, you know, uh, am resentful towards that caused my community harm, my family, myself. Uh, I made amends to all of the people that I felt that I had been unskillful towards and took responsibility and said like, yeah, hey, I was unskillful in this way. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I just showed up and I did all the shit that I've been doing for the last 30 years. Right. And, uh, and also like framed the whole thing as, you know, we're talking about adventures and, you know, like the silent retreats or the ice baths or whatever, you know, of like, oh, this is an opportunity. This whole thing, this loss, this criticism, these false accusations, this is an opportunity for me to watch my own ego, mm. you know, get demolished, watch my own finances go away and show up in a way that's like, oh, wow, I want to, I really want to be free. Mm-hmm. And this is an opportunity for freedom. Yeah. So, you know, no special techniques, just the same shit that I've been teaching and right. doing for all these years. Right. I mean, obviously you had to experience a, a massive like ego death, right? I mean, at, through this whole process. Do you feel that there were times where your ego was just absolutely well, getting the best of you? Because, I mean, we all well, deal with this, dude. I mean, when you're in a position yeah. of power, you know what I mean? Not that there was any real abuse of it, but it's hard not to be – I was a foreman for $60 million jobs and it's a fucking lot of responsibility, dude. You know what I mean? Like, and there's no way to not have a bit of an ego about the things you are doing, the, what, what you're, you know what I mean? What you're accomplishing all these things, you know what I mean? And, um, it's, it's gotta be a, a bit of a fucking wild ride, right? Well, you know, part of absolutely wild ride and some, uh, you know, humbling for sure, I think in a healthy way, but also uh, what I've watched a lot is my mind, the ego, become a martyr. You know, if I had been really being, you know, terribly unskillful in a lot of ways, then I think that maybe I would have felt more shame or, you know, kind of demolishing. But because most of what happened was based on dishonesty and kind of other people's jealousy and greed and, sure. you know, kind of, dis- you know, false accusation. Um, so then mostly my mind was just like, martyr like oh you know this is happening you know a little bit of that sort of victim of like okay this is happening and then my dharma practice saying like okay how does how do i work with the feelings of anger and the feelings of the ego wanting to take it and be a martyr about it right this is happening to me and like i said before trying to reframe the whole thing is like this is an opportunity this is an opportunity for letting go, for practicing the non-attachment that I've been preaching, for practicing the boredom and the hunger and the loneliness. And, you know, eventually sort of coming around to a place of, um, you know, really getting to see who are my true friends and who is just hanging around in order to, you know, get something. Right. And that as soon as I was no longer providing them with something, including my teachers, you know, including the Spirit Rock, Cornfield, those people who I was the golden boy when I was bringing 300 people to their retreat center regularly. Right. But as soon as this accusation and the reputation and they were like, oh, you're bad for business now. Mm -hmm. So we don't actually love you as a person. You were just a commodity. And now that you're not a good commodity for us, you're dismissed. Right. Which, what a blessing that is to see that, you know, painful to see, you know. Pain, you know painful, painful to but it, uh, necessary, right? Yeah. 
but also yeah quite i i feel like it's it's been a blessing you know to kind of extricate myself from some of that yeah I, I mean yeah to shed the the ones that you know because the hard reality is, is a lot of this is business right i mean a lot of the true you know what i mean and it's a fucking business dude and you're bringing bodies and they might be making donations or paying or however it works. You know what I mean? And someone's driving a fucking Tesla over there, you know what I mean? Like for sure. You know what I mean? Or maybe a couple, you know what I mean? That's just exactly how it is. There's always a fucking boss, you know what I mean? And, um, it is, it, it's good to experience that. I, have you changed up anything in your actual practice to take forward that you would like think maybe things that were, different like have you changed have you thought about any different ways that you're going to approach these things at this point like as far as like your actual practice you know what i mean not really my practice is pretty solid and continuous and um you know my five precepts you know buddhism we practice you know of avoiding um killing avoiding lying stealing uh avoiding all drugs and alcohol and sexual misconduct you know, and some of the scandal that happened around me was around my sexuality and around, you know, a woman that I was dating. And, you know, I definitely had to see that, like, I wasn't being as careful as I could have been. Right. And, you know, so certainly it made me address, like, oh, I need to be much more cautious and much more aware of the sort of power dynamic that I'm holding as an author and a teacher and all of that stuff that I was sort of in denial about. You know, I, I had that sort of two things going against me. One is I have this punk rock delusion of like, I'm just part of the scene. Mm. You know, like I don't, I just see myself as like peers with everybody rather than like, I'm the boss and I'm the founder. Right. And that was a delusion. Like I actually needed to take more responsibility for how I'm seen and projected on by others. Right. And the power that that gives me as a straight white male patriarchal, you know, mm. figure and all of that. So that was a a good wake up call for me. You know, and the other thing is like in recovery, peer led, do it yourself. Like I wasn't really seeing myself uh, as a, you know, the teacher. I was like, I'm just part of this recovery community. No, no, you wrote the book. You're not just part of this community. You're the founder. And I was like, I I think I'm just a punk rock kid from Santa Cruz. They're like, no, you're a 50 year old man that has power over this whole community. And you need to be more careful with who you're sleeping with. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That is true. Yeah. But it is, you know, when you, the way in which you maybe viewed it in the past, it does have to tie in with this punk rock guilt, right? Because if you admit to yourself, I, you know, Hey, this is my fucking ship. You know what I mean? It's like sell out. Like, you know what I mean? There's that voice in your brain going like, you ain't shit. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, uh, I think it was a big part. I think it was a big part of what happened too, Craig, Mm -hmm. is that, you know, coming from the punk scene, you get some success. You're a fucking target. Totally. hundred percent. Yeah. And And, and also this is in the height of, the cancel culture backlash, right? I mean, so everyone's fucking, you know, there was, I have many, many friends that, I mean, that have gone through it, like say, things that you're just like, wow, like it would have not happened. You know what I mean? Like normally, you know? Um, so it's, it's hard. I mean, how do you view cancel culture now? Is it, I mean, obviously it's died down, but um, I mean, is it, when you see people that are screaming online about injustices while there's real, you know, injustices about how someone reacted to someone's pronoun, right? When you know that there are 
real fucking injustices. Kid in in India digging through trash, you know, to get food. Like, how does your brain? I mean, is it? Do you view it as sad? I mean, sadness. Like, are you like? You know, I I'm all for holding people accountable. I'm 100%. all for speaking truth to power. I'm all for all of us being more careful with our language and with how we, you know, for traditionally oppressed, you know, communities. Uh, I'm all I'm all for and I celebrate the sort of awakening that is happening around gender, around uh, sexuality, around race. Like I, I think it's necessary. Critical race theory, like this shit, is necessary in our culture. So. Um, me too, you know, necessary for sure. Like this stuff needs to happen. It's important. I support it. I would consider myself a, you know, radical sort of, you know, leftist feminist, you know, mm-hmm. uh, ally. And um, part of what's not happening is compassion, forgiveness, reconciliation, actually listening yeah, and giving people room right? for conversation and giving people room to take responsibility for their actions rather than just let's destroy people because they've been unskillful in the past and Mm -hmm. let's dig up shit where people were unskillful 15 years ago and then destroy their rather than like hey you know we found this thing from 15 years ago would you like to talk about that would you like to make amends for how unconscious you were 15 years ago or whatever it was (laughs) oh i know (laughs) like like, that that would be great like that kind of cultural sort of like Oh yeah, like I was unskillful. I want to take responsibility. I was ignorant at that time. I was, you know. Um, so I'm a big, you know, kind of fan and supporter of the radical shift that's happening in some ways. And like all changes, it goes a little bit too far. Doesn't have the nuances. Doesn't have the uh, skillful reconciliation process that's necessary when we're going to call people out on bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, I've said yeah, it, it's I'm a pendulum. It, it's a pendulum. I mean, it swings one way. You know, in the 80s, it was fucking Christian white Republicans trying to get, you know, all music banned that has cuss words, right? And now it's – but now it's, it is – it's crazy because the left is – and I'm a general centrist. I'm I'm embarrassed for everybody most of the time, right? I mean, I literally, like, you guys are all – everyone's embarrassing. Like, Biden, Trump, the whole – you know. But, um, you know, I, it is a, it's one of the most wild fucking spectacles of, of a snake eating its own tail. You know what I mean? You cannot be woke enough. You know what I mean? And, and, and when you talk about freedom of speech, you would talk about all these things. You know, they don't realize that the shit that they're doing to people right now is very possibly going to happen to them in the future, right? I mean, it's, um, it's, it's just, and you wonder where is the, when's the correction going to be? And I think we're kind of heading out of it, right? People are like, okay enough like you said you know any normal human in their right mind is supports me too supports race critical race theory you know what i mean all these things right i think we're dealing with a dying culture of of that old way of thought my kids don't feel it i don't feel it it's generationally is going to be bred out you know what i mean but we have to we have to speak up enough to where it's like okay guys you guys are going a little far why don't you guys get out of college get a job for a piece of shit boss that you hate you know, try to figure out how to rip him off. You know what I mean? And then live in the world rather than this academic life that everything is only woke and that's it. You know what I mean? It's it's just such a wild uh, 
it's a fucked up experiment, man. You know what I mean? And I don't know where, I don't know where it ends, you know? Um, I hope that it works all right. You know, I guess if we can all just, you know, have a conversation, it'd be great. (laughs) It's pretty human, you know, and it's kind of, yes, it's because of social media, it's, it's getting so much uh, attention um, these days. But this has always happened, you know, this, you know, this sort of struggle between genders and races and accusations and, you know, who's the most righteous, you know, it's, it's, it's an age, ageless, um, right. you know, when I, when I had the, you know, the girl that I was dating accused me of something non-consensual happening and like shit fell apart around uh, my community um, you know, people uh, pointed out to me, they're like, you know, the Buddha was accused of the same shit. 2600 years ago people that wanted to destroy the buddha were like he's like he's a sexist he you know had sex Mm. with this woman like called him a rapist like all of this stuff and it's just like wow like people have been doing this from the beginning of time oh yeah to harm to each other yeah you know you know there's there's high speculation for elizabeth bathory right that she didn't do these things she she actually was a fucking massive landowner and about to be the richest woman in the world. And they released crazy information about her to fucking knock her down, to take all of everything she had. You know what I mean? And I've heard many, many, there's lots of scholars that say that like race conversation or I'm I'm sorry, gender conversation is one of the last major fights in the end of every major civilization in history. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, oof, I don't know. (laughs) We could be coming, man. I just got back from Yellowstone if that volcano blows up, we're in trouble anyway. You know what I mean? It was a big perspective for me. I was like, ooh, you guys can argue about all you want, man. But i seen an actual volcano. If that thing goes, we're in big trouble. <laughs> we, maybe we should be thinking about that. You know? Um, Craig, I got to run soon. It was I, so I, cool. I, I was just going to let you go, man. Yeah. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to meet you, dude. My pleasure. Hope to see you. All right, man. Talk to you. When, when we gotta, I'll get dad brains to come and play down in L. You guys got to, you know, do something at against the stream. Let us know, man. We're I'm, we're down, uh, you know. We're down. I'll man. hit but, up Matt. Um, yeah, hopefully I'll meet you in person sometime. Probably at the silent retreat. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother.